This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Advanced by Jeff Oddy and Back After a Break to Discuss the Decline of Civilization by Audrey Kalman. Advance. Written and read by Jeff Oddy. Listening time, 3 minutes, 44 seconds. Advance by Jeff Oddy. Right after the check-cashing shack, the old man had an errand real quick, da baby. You mind? He had some kind of business in a rusted-ass Quonset hut a mile down the drag with a red plastic sign that read, Advanced Cable Co., the missing A. The vast parking lot contained no other car. Lydia dreamed of pie, her mother's recipe dug up from a crate. The old man had a suspended license and a way of crapping on her plans, but it was his shitbox Dodge she drove, and what could she say? I mind, she said, but she pulled in. He dumped the contents of his pinata wallet, two-thirds of a shredded credit card, a coupon for hot dogs, a lotto stub. He picked through it all like a tick-hunting chimp. Cable's on the fritz, he explained. Lydia held up a greasy snapshot of some frizz-perm woman she didn't know. Who's this? Lend me a few bucks. How many? Eighty. He extracted a claim tag so battered it sagged, kissed it, lifted it like a prize. Please? She cursed her grandmother for giving him birth while she leafed crisp twenties into his hand. Then she cursed herself. Always the doormat, never the door. Robbed her own bank, drove the getaway car. He stepped out the squealing door, cinched his scotch-stained bathrobe, vanished into the hut, along with her dream pie. It faded like a near-death vision at the end of a glowing tunnel. The hut's door chimes clanged. She kicked up the heat, held her hands to the vent, Dry leaves roiled along the curb. A distant bum heaved a shopping cart across the lot, and a true tear rolled from the corner of her eye. It was unnatural how bad she wanted that pie. A minute later, the old man emerged trailing a yokel with a yellow purse. The old man collapsed in front, as if spent. The yokel slipped in back and offered his hand. They call me Stretch. Stretch is going to help me out, the old man said, palming Stretch cash. We'll hang around a minute while he does business. No big. Stretch folded the bills into his purse. Ma'am, he said, and untucked himself from the car. He wore a white ski coat with white pants. What the fuck is this place? Lydia said. Stiff wind caught the door of the hut as Stretch went through, held it open like a maw. The old man burrowed into the seat and peered at the note card the pie recipe was on, holding it at arm's length. He needed reading glasses. I haven't seen this in many moons, he mused. Maybe to Lydia, maybe to someone gone. A skein of geese sailed into view from behind the curve of the hut's tin roof, gronking complaints. Their wavering V glowed over the car, then banked back around, drawing a circle around the lot. I didn't know you could bake, 
the old man said, and started nodding and tapping wipeout on the dash, upsetting his melted scotch on rocks. The geese shot past the windshield in a low, straight line, so low she saw their white throats and black-headed eyes, so low she saw a turd slip from one's ass and plop on the threadbare hood of the Dodge. The old man was scooping ice off the floor and fanned back into formation while in the window of the Quonset hut a bleach-white goose, white as Christmas, with a yellow purse dangling from its beak, appeared and flung its wine-bottle body south. In the rear view... She watched it call speed and affixed to the skein, a yellow-white seraph on the retreating V, which inverted as it climbed like a funicular into the slow, heavy belly of dark clouds. Jeff Oddie's work has previously appeared in places like Smoke Long Quarterly, Decomp Magazine, and The Village Voice. He's pursuing an MFA at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. Back after a break to discuss the decline of civilization. Written and read by Audrey Kalman. Listening time, 9 minutes, 45 seconds. Back after a break to discuss the decline of civilization. By Audrey Kalman. Preston interrupted merrily just as she began to describe her dream, a tableau of lust and betrayal. Does the trash company take batteries, he asked. The dream seemed irrelevant by the time she finished answering. In it, Preston had kissed another woman. That was it, just kissed, but she had spent the remainder of the night bereft. They would be married 26 years on Sunday. Much had fallen apart. Next week, the trash company was coming for a big item pickup, which entitled them to rid themselves of one large appliance, one piece of furniture, and 12 bags or bundles. They had spent the morning excavating the garage. Preston disappeared into the house. Merrily waited for him on the threshold of the open garage. Two minutes passed, then five. Her neighbor, Jilly, walked by with her Doberman. Merrily opened her mouth to call hello before she noticed Jilly was on her cell phone, looking straight ahead and nodding to the voice coming through the Bluetooth. Merrily closed her mouth and watched the dog's high, tight ass prance away up the sidewalk. After a while, Merrily walked around to the backyard. This was her territory. In the early years of their marriage, she had wielded a shovel and shears, softening the clay soil with compost and taming the hedge separating their house from Jilly's. Now they paid gardeners, and Preston came back here only when they threw a party. He'd stand at the outdoor kitchen grill and flip the steaks she had selected, purchased, and seasoned. Merrily extracted her iPod from her pocket, untangled the cord, and pressed the buds into her ears. The gardeners trimmed and raked, but always neglected the weeding. She had work to do. She had no idea whether her marriage was solid as bedrock or drifting into the open ocean like a rendered ice floe. How did people decide... For years, she knew no one who had gotten divorced. Now, every other email from a friend seemed to begin, I have some unhappy news. But the women popped up refreshed from the ashes of their marriages, sporting new clothes and stylish haircuts, dating even. Once, Merrily had watched Preston kiss other women, and not in a dream. It happened before they got engaged. He had the appetites of any other man, and she wanted to prove she was a liberated woman. 
she allowed him to take her to a strip club. She found herself not knowing where to look. At the dancer flirting with the pole? At the gentleman panting after the dancer? She looked at Preston. He was looking at another woman. No, not just looking, beckoning. The woman came to their table and leaned close to hear Preston over the music. Marilee's eyes jumped from pole dancer to men to her boyfriend's shag of hair and landed on the woman's cleavage. The crevasse sucked her into its shadow. There were other strip clubs, other lap dances, until they got engaged and agreed, without speaking of it, to act respectably. The swinging 70s were over. It was time to settle down, ride out the recession, turn their attention to Wall Street. But once more, in the early years of marriage, before the girls were born, she had watched him kiss another woman. Preston would be upstairs on the computer. He hadn't yet retired as she had, so he still had work important enough to invade his Saturday morning. Merrily pictured him, slumping toward the screen in a posture of pot-bellied defeat, chin outthrust, index finger tapping the mouse. If Preston had looked out the window, he would have seen Merrily crouching at the base of the hedge like a burglar or a tribal shaman. She began yanking out shoots of Bermuda grass. She knew she shouldn't. The very tiniest of broken stems could repropagate, but retrieving the weeding rake from the garage seemed too troublesome. She adjusted her iPod's left earbud. Looking back even further into the past, the interviewer was saying to the psychologist on the radio show, you claim we're now living in the most peaceful period in human history. Merrily listened as the psychologist chronicled the statistics leading to this conclusion. Her mind spun its own interpretations. If peace was breaking out around the world, what accounted for everyone's sense that society was running down to its last dregs? The human brain must be splendidly designed to manufacture misery. She tugged harder at the clump of Bermuda grass. It first resisted and then separated at the soil line, leaving its rhizomes intact underground to fight another day. In the dream, the woman had turned away from Merrily with a look that said, I'll kiss your husband, but I won't kiss you. There had been a time when she and Preston both had fallen a little bit in love with a lab assistant at Preston's work. This was in the early years of their marriage when love and lust were mixed up together and the residue of experimentation still clung to them. Her name was Cassandra, but everyone called her Cassie. She's kind of a party animal, Preston said. Does she have a boyfriend, Merrily asked. That guy she brought to the Christmas party was the last one I knew about. She dumped him. You wouldn't think she'd have trouble finding another one. Merrily and Preston talked about Cassie this way for months. They were the worldly couple looking out for young Cassie's future. Then Cassie invited them for a weekend at her parents' place in Santa Barbara. They arrived expecting another couple, or at least the illusory boyfriend. But Cassie was alone. Cassie had kissed them both. Merrily was hearing every other sentence or so of the interview as if her mind was an imperfectly tuned radio receiver. It's a question of empathy. Are you always on the side of the angels? Is your enemy always evil? One of the interviewees was saying. Preston and Merrily had sent their younger daughter off to college three months ago. Plenty of Merrily's friends talked 
talked about the liberation that accompanied their children's leave-taking. Others described the desolation of the empty nest. Merrily had already cleared out Tina's room and moved in a crafting table. The drawback to this arrangement was the room's proximity to Preston's office, which had once belonged to their older daughter. An angel beside evil. But which was which? The interviewer's voice gave way to music. The interlude was so familiar to Merrily, it felt like part of her being. That was how often she listened to this particular show. She liked the musical theme and wouldn't have minded if it had lengthened into a song. But 15 seconds was all you got. The other interviewee spoke. I'm not saying there's not awful violence going on. It's dreadful. But is it more dreadful than it used to be? Merrily hugged the pile of Bermuda grass close so as not to let any strands escape on her way to the compost bin. When she reached the bin, she realized she had gone about things backwards. She would have to put down the grass to open the bin. The interviewer said, Look closely at the numbers. They don't lie. The past is a lot less innocent than it seems. She stared at the green plastic lid as if she could lift it by force of will, and then closed her eyes. Cassie's face had felt very small between Marilee's hands. She wondered whether this was how her own face felt when Preston laid his palms against her cheeks and guided her in for a kiss. You think too much, Cassie said, the both of you. It surprised Marilee how foggy Santa Barbara was in the morning. Outside Cassie's parents' house, where the beach should have been, there was only a shimmering curtain of vapor. When Marilee opened her eyes, the lid was up, not by force of will, but by Preston. Marilee dumped the Bermuda grass into the bin and plucked the earbuds from her ears. The sounds of the world rushed back, an airplane, a blue jay traffic, Jilly's dog barking on the other side of the fence, her husband's voice. Preston waved a piece of paper before her. Honey, I found the information on hazardous waste, he said. He knelt and began to gather stray strands of grass that had drifted to the ground outside the bin. Merrily let herself sink down beside him, and together they used the hazardous waste printout as a scoop. Preston stood. His head momentarily blocked the sun, making a flat black outline of his face and shoulders. Merrily reached for his extended hand. Don't worry, he said. I'll take care of everything. The Bermuda grass, she saw, had stained her palms the color of envy. Audrey Kalman has been a passionate storyteller and avid listener for more than 35 years. Her novel, Dance of Souls, was published in 2011. Her short fiction has appeared in literary journals. Visit her at audreykalman.com. Listener-supported Boundoff is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories. <laughs>